take your Bible and turn with me to Romans, the sixth chapter, and we want to read verse 13. Pardon me, verse 11 through 13, and read verse 16. Praise God, praise God, praise God. We are having a good heat wave. I don't have my coat on, and of course, uh, if you brothers, if any of you have your dress coat on, you want to remove it, you may. Makes me feel a little more comfortable. Felix is always cold, and I didn't think he'd pull his off anyway. He's always cold. If you see him in the wintertime, he's always shivering. And <clears throat> Romans 6, verse 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither, pardon me, yield ye your members as instruments unto unrighteousness, unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey... His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Praise God. And you may be seated. Before you're seated, turn around and shake hands. We do have some guests here, some that I haven't seen here before. And, uh, and then quickly sit down and we'll go into the word of the Lord. God. I took my liberty several years ago to purchase a book on Greek mythology, and I went through that book. And at this point in time, I'm not really for sure what I had in mind, but uh, I had some purpose at that particular time. But I remember several things about the book concerning Greek mythology. And one thing that I especially was interested in, and that is the, the basic belief of their various gods and goddesses. And of course in mythology, Greek mythology, they do a lot of teaching concerning gods or individuals that they have made into gods that according to certain legendary stories they are half human and they're half beast. Now, I think if you were to study the stars, you'll find that some of the constellations are named after certain Greek gods and figures 
of history from mythology. If my mind does not fail me, it's Sagittarius that happens to be the constellation of the archer. Has a horse body, horse hoofs, four legs. Then out of the neck comes the uh, body of a man. And of course he has a bow in his hand. And the bow is stretched with an arrow in it. And uh, this is one of the constellations of the heavens. Of course, the stars were always there. It's just in times past, certain individuals, astronomers and astrologers, took a careful look at stars as they were... uh, put together by God, and they made mystical uh, drawings and such from paper and later grouped them into what we call constellations. Now, in a particular constellation, one star may be 350 billion miles away, and another one may be only uh, two or 300 billion miles away. They're not all on the same plane. Sometimes you think there's a star here and one here and one here on a flat plane. That's not true. Have you ever sat as a kid and, or maybe laid on your back out in the yard someplace and looked up at the clouds and as it passed over, you, you made figures out of the clouds? I remember having an art class and we had to do that. So I made a little dog running and a big ice cream cone in the hand of a boy. And it was all in the clouds. Well, somebody else took the same cloud and they made something else. I remember making an ice cream cone and somebody made a a clown with a dunce type hat on. And uh, it was the very same cloud that I had made an ice cream cone out of. They had it turned upside down, but that's part of it. Somebody else came along and made a great big old tree out of the same cloud that had this Spanish moss growing from it. The kind that uh, Brother Pizer said uh, sauerkraut grew from. He thought that was sauerkraut. But uh, <clears throat> all the same cloud. Well, this is what... Uh, Astronomers and astrologers of times past did. They took the groupings of the stars and they drew particular figures according to their imaginations. And I'm sure if you were to take Sagittarius, you could make something else out of that grouping. It's just been named that, legally named that, by men of the past. There have always been stories of people who were half man and who were half beast. The nearest to that that we can come to in in the Bible is the story of, of Nebuchadnezzar who was driven out in the field. He lived like a beast while he really wasn't a beast. 
And the hair on his arms grew so long because of his rejection of God that it looked like the feathers of a bird. And his fingernails grew so long that they looked like the talons of an eagle. But he really wasn't a beast. He was a man. Later on he got his nails manicured and his hair cut and shaped up somewhat after the judgments of God was withdrawn from him. But we have no physical scientific proof of creatures in the past that were half man and half beast. And of course, according to our present scientific data, that is impossible for such a creature to exist. Even the mating of a beast with a human being is impossible because of the number of chromosomes in a cell. It's just impossible. And I think one of the greatest arguments against evolution is that no place have we found any definite link between man and beast. While some people have drawings that they put on paper, like the Peking man, there was a long time in which uh, there was a big story printed about this small type of man that lived in China. I guess it was in the last ten years that they, they found out. Of course, I didn't know when I studied about the Peking man that uh, they all they ever found of him was a small portion of his jawbone. And they found out later that that small portion indeed did not come from a man, but it actually came from a pig. Now that's been documented. And yet I was taught when I was growing up in school, evolution just like a lot of you were taught, and I really thought that that they had a lot more information on this individual and what they have. I'd say that if you were somehow to come back to this planet Earth several years after all of us have died and somehow you dig up our bones, that there would be such a variation in our skulls that it would be hard for man to realize that all of us lived in the same era of time. Now you know there would be a tremendous amount of difference between Brother Ed Everson's head and Brother Keith Manley's head. And you would never dream that they actually shook hands together and shouted the victory together, if you were to find their remains several hundred years from now. But a lot of this garbage, and I say that without reservation, is simply based upon the figment of man's imagination. For all of us, when we get down to the very nitty-gritty of, of life, we understand that there are really no such creature now or in the past who was part man and part something else. 
There's just no such creature. We read stories in the comics about mermaids that come out of the ocean, part woman and part fish. And we make jokes about it, but there's just no such creature. None at all. Now, the passage of Scripture that I want to make a connection with here is found in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, verse 17. And I have talked on this Scripture for the past, or in the past year, probably eight, ten times. But 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I've read that in relation to Romans 6 because that some people have this idea that because that they wear a fleshly robe that uh, is kin to Adam, that they're actually half sinner and they're half saint. But now, according to the Scripture, there is no evidence to point, to base such a theory upon. And that's what Paul is saying. While it is possible that some people yield their instruments as instruments to sin, if you read very carefully throughout the Bible, even though... We all wear fleshly robes that uh, can be tempted. Temptation doesn't come from just the flesh. When the Bible speaks of the flesh, it doesn't mean just my outer shell. But there are inner desires connected to the outer shell that causes me to do some of the things that I do that I ought not to do. And in the scripture, the proper approach to the subject of the flesh and the spirit and the soul of man is that God has come to make us whole, that we are sanctified according to Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica, we're sanctified in our body in our soul, and in our spirit. But quite often what happens is that we make some mistake and we blame it on our flesh. Like one of the students in the Sunday school class, the teacher saw him hit a girl. And so, and this, uh, you know, the class, the age of the class was... Uh, that age where the boys like to slap at the girls and the girls like to make war with the boys. But the boy was caught doing it. But when he was questioned, he said, I didn't hit the girl. The teacher said, I saw you hit the girl. Now the boy just held very firm to his story. I didn't hit her. Okay, now look. You have caused enough havoc. We will not put up with this. We want you to get in the car. We want you to go home with 
And we're going to talk to mother about this. Now, one last time, did you hit the girl or not? Well, he says, I didn't, but my hand did. He just separated his hand from himself. As if, maybe, he was not responsible for what this hand does. This hand is motivated by this brain. These feet go where this brain tells these feet to go. These ears hear, and they enjoy hearing what my brain tells them they enjoy hearing. What I put in my mouth and what I chew on is determined by what my brain tells me. That the outer robe of the flesh that we wear is controlled by muscles and nerves that are controlled by the brain. The brain is the central nervous system. From it comes all of our passions, our desires, our lusts, and so forth. You see, this is what Paul is saying. Some people just have this this crazy idea that, well, I'm a Christian. However, I live in this world that's full of sin. And so I can be kind of half Christian and I can be half saint. Now, if I understand this scripture right, here in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, when it speaks of new creatures, it's really talking about a different species altogether. I went into a local sporting goods store, and here they, some taxidermists had, had put together a configuration of, of different animals. They had a, a, a jackrabbit with horns that had pheasant wings and a tail and had duck feet and... I don't know what they called it, but it was a terrible looking thing. And uh, one boy stood there and looked at that by his dad's side. He said, I think that's real. His dad said, oh, there's no such thing as that. And the little boy said, are you sure it looks like something that I've seen before? <laughs> See? Well, we can look at all those things. We said, that's not real. That's not true. We don't have to go ask the owner of the store, the taxidermist, or or the man who killed uh, whatever that was. Uh, That's a hodgepodge. It's put together. It's a figment of somebody's imagination. It didn't just grow that way. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, well, I'm a Christian, but... You know, I do this, and I do that, and I do this, and I do that, and I do this. In other words, your habitat is not a Christian habitat. I highly stress that where you live and how you conduct your life determines what kind of creature you are. And what kind of creature you are, in turn, determines the way you conduct Yourself in your habitat. You just wouldn't go get a guppy from someone's aquarium and put it in a bird nest and expect it to hatch guppies. 
Because they don't think guppies are hatched, are they? They're born alive, but nevertheless, you, they, just, they just don't bear their young in a bird's nest. And what happens sometimes to Christians is that they consider themselves kind of in the state of evolution. In other words, I came out of the world, I evolved into Christianity, and I'm continually evolving. I know the Bible speaks of growing in grace and knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks of spiritual perfection. Friend, you didn't evolve from a sinner to a saint. You were born again. And when you were born again, the old man of sin was buried with Christ in baptism. It was done away with. It was eliminated. And to try to make yourself a sinner when you're supposed to be a saint is as ridiculous as some Greek uh, astronomer making Sagittarius in the heavens and really believing that this particular God actually reigned in the heavens and on the earth at a given time. That's a legendary story. That never did happen. There never has been a half man and a half horse that lived any place. Now that's necessary for us to understand as Christians. The reason why, because you see, you, you just wouldn't, you would not take a baby that's in a crib and take it out to your stable and try to force it to eat hay. That child would choke to death on hay. You can't make it eat hay. And you sure wouldn't take a horse right outside of his crib and pin a diaper on it and put it inside in a baby crib either. That horse wants to be out there, that colt, where it can stretch its long wobbly legs and nibble on the grass and run and, and neigh and kick its heels up. And the reason why that there are a lot of confused Christians in the world is because they want to go back to their old habitat. And they want to live back there. And they want to act like they acted when they were back there. And then when they come to church, they want to act like Christians. And you can't do that. Now, it may be that I'm becoming very picky and meddling around a little bit tonight, but I think that we need to set the record straight on some things. There are just certain things that if you want to be a Christian, you cannot do and remain in the fold of Christ. You will die. You cannot do it. You absolutely cannot do it. Somebody showed me a little article, I, not an article, a little comic. And I, I'm not trying to, to, to blow Sister Nelson's theme. She's going to be working on the bulletin boards. But, but uh, she had a little, little comic that had to do with chimpanzees. See? And acting like people. You know, as much as you want to train a parrot to think like a man and talk like a man, it is a known fact that when the parrot says what he says, he has absolutely no idea what he's saying. 
You just repeated a phrase over and over and over until he learned to say it. But he doesn't really know what he's saying. He has no idea as to what he's saying. And you may take a chimpanzee. We were over at the Milwaukee Zoo. They had a little baby chimp over there and they had diapers on him and everything. And But I'm here to tell you, he knows he's a chimpanzee. If you don't believe it, you get near a tree. And all of a sudden, as much as you'd like for him to be human, he's not a human. Because that little chimp just crawled right up that tree and took that diaper off and threw it down. And he wasn't a, he wasn't a baby anymore. Not a human baby. I mean, he was a real live monkey. If you can call them monkeys, I don't know whether they're monkeys or not. But, but anyway, as much as you want to, they, you know, they, they, you may get them to ride bicycles and you may get them to, to do little cute things and, and such. But they are not people. And they're not going to act like people. And I think it's a sad, sad story indeed when we, through some figment of our imagination, we try to make things out of things that are not. And Christians sometimes, they get to thinking that, they're, that they can survive in the world. You know, let me tell you something about a Christian. When you take on the name of Jesus and you go back in the world, you will never be the same again. You won't be happy with the world. You cannot be happy with the world. It's impossible to be happy with the world. And you're talking about a, a fish that's out of water, so to speak. It's a Christian that's dilly-dabbling around with the things of the world. You just cannot do that and be that type of individual. Now, your old man was planted. Now, he was buried. And now you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, notice what Paul says. He says, old things are passed away. It's like the, it's like the process of metamorphosis. Here you have this little caterpillar, and this caterpillar takes and, and he spins a cocoon around himself, and he's going to come out a butterfly. Now he doesn't crawl on the ground anymore. He doesn't eat leaves anymore. He can't go back to what he was. He's been changed. He robed himself in death. When he spun that cocoon around himself. And when he came out, he came out a butterfly. And he can't be a caterpillar anymore. He doesn't crawl up trees and strip the leaves off anymore. He flies from flower to flower. His life has been changed. And it's that way when we... Come into the house of the Lord. And the reason why that some Christians are sick to their tummies all the time, spiritually speaking, is because they're eating things that they used to eat and their system won't let them eat it and enjoy it anymore. You can't do that, praise God. I say you can't do that. 
But you see, the devil has a very careful and precise program to desensitize you. You know, sometimes people kind of, they get the idea that, that they can be a mediocre Christian. Now, I want to tell you something. I believe that in the day that we live in, not to say that it was always possible, but I think it was easier at, 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 at other times than perhaps now. There is a definite line between right and wrong like you've never seen before. And the devil's making a bid for every soul he can. And you cannot live in mediocrity now and survive. You cannot do it. Don't you know that the devil knows that his time is limited? Don't you know that he knows what's happening in the world? Now, he doesn't know the day nor the hour in which Jesus will come back any more than I know the day nor the hour. But he knows the fulfillment of, 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 of prophecy and such. He knows that all these things are coming to pass. He knows he doesn't have much time to work. And friend, he is doing everything he can to destroy and desensitize every Christian that he can. If there ever has been a time that you and I need to pray and seek God and beg God for strong convictions that will keep us on the safe side, we need to do it now. There are too many people that like to see just what they can do and get by with it and still be numbered among those that are going up in the rapture. But you see, the devil's power works just like the Lord's power. When you came to the Lord, the Bible says, Jesus spoke like this. He said, no man cometh to me except my Father draweth him. I remember one of the most fascinating things that I'd ever seen in my life was a vacuum cleaner. Oh, I don't know how old I was when my mom first got a vacuum cleaner. The only reason why we got it because my dad tried to sell some, and I'd never seen one before. He brought one in, they put it in the middle of the floor, and uh, my mother and all of us kids, we huddled around it, and it was the funniest looking thing we'd ever seen, this long hose, and... and uh, I didn't know what the hose was for, so I started talking down it to my sister. You know, she put up their ear, and, and Dad said, let me show you what this thing will do. And I'll tell you, turn it on. It doesn't. Now, when you turn it on, it does not automatically clean your house. It doesn't suck the dirt out of the second story bedroom. But now it will suck the dirt out of the second story bedroom if you take it up there. And if you expose the dirt a certain distance from the nozzle. And all of a sudden the dirt seems to be totally unmoved. The, that, that dirt is not affected at all. And all of a sudden it's sucked up. Now you'll find that that's the way the Lord works. There are certain people come in the house of God. They seem to be having a good time in sin. They don't. Nothing's bothering them. And man, we're preaching our heart out. We're talking about the joy of the, of the Lord and such. And all of a sudden, somebody looks over and looks in the Bible and they say, "Oh, read that to me." And so you read this to them, and then you turn, you read another. Oh, you're getting real close. You better watch out. You're going to be sucked right in. 
And all of a sudden you'll find an individual that God starts talking to their heart and they break down and tears start flowing. And they just seem to be led in some mysterious way by an unseen hand right to the altar. Now that happened to all of us. And there are some people that are converted before they give a whole lot of thought to it. In other words, they feel what they feel on Sunday night. They surrender. They ask God to forgive them. They do everything. They're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, somewhere along there, it hits them. Wow, what in the world has happened to me? I've had people call me up. Well, I'm still living on cloud nine. I can't believe it's all true. I can't believe it's all true. But let me tell you something that's very, very sad. That just as God draws with his spirit, there is also a power of iniquity that, that is very real. And there are certain people, for some unknown reason, that they drop their convictions, they stop praying and seeking the Lord or whatever, and they just walk up and they just start looking at sin. And they start, you know, tasting it a little bit. And all of a sudden, without any warning, and they wake up and realize that they're out of the hand of God. Wow, I didn't mean for that to happen. Yeah. But you see, when you drop some of your convictions and such, you should have known this was going to happen. You see, the devil desensitizes people. And there are all kinds of things in our world that desensitizes you. And so when you're desensitized, you don't have that resistance to evil. And so you don't give much thought to what you're doing. Now, I, I still believe, uh, I've done a lot of preaching about this, and I still believe this, and you hear me. I think a married couple, if they want to become, listen to me, Unhappy with each other, all you have to do is read a whole lot of romance books. Did anybody say amen? Am I the only one here that believes that? Now I love my wife and I love my wife dearly. But I would say that I could desensitize myself to my wife's love by going down to Woodman's, Kmart, Shopco, or any place and picking up even some of the family magazines, which I'm not against family magazines coming in your house, but I think you've got to be careful what you read. See? Now, if you want to find out how careful God was, you read in the, you read in the Old Testament. I don't care what Ann Gaylor says about the Old Testament, friend. The Old Testament serves such a number on the Jews that even today, with the Jews in every nation of the sun, they can go back to Israel and all have a common belief. And all have peace in the land if they didn't have outside interference. 
Now, how can they do that? Because God, through his Old Testament law, ingrained in their minds a particular doctrine, and they can't get it out of their system. And they can be in every nation of the sun and still go back over there and still have a common belief in, in the one God. And God says the works of astrology and such that come in your house, he said you're to destroy those. Don't let them come into your house. There were certain things they didn't even let come in their house. Why? Because it would break down the resistance of the children and the parents toward evil. So you go get the red book or, or whatever book it is that has a romance story and all of this. And, and you just start reading those things all the time. And I'll guarantee you, you may not have, never have, you may not ever have, rather, an outer marital problem that will become noticeable among a congregation. But there will be points in your life in which you become dissatisfied with your spouse. You listening? Amen. Are you listening? Amen. And that's why I say, you know, there, there are just little things like this that desensitizes you. Just little things. I remember when I was a kid, my dad worked at a at a auto body store. And I don't know, around these garages, they have some of the worst calendars that you've ever seen. But he brought home a calendar of a girl in a skirt. We didn't have a calendar. Those days you didn't get calendars just every place. But he brought home a calendar that had a girl in a skirt. And it looked like a 1920 skirt. And before my mother would allow that to go up on the wall in our home, I had to go get a bucket of latex paint and paint a skirt on her. Now I'm serious with you. And that was a big deal. We all got around the table while I painted a skirt on this girl. And we put it up. And we had our annual calendar. Now I remember that. Now that made an impression on me. You see, my mother was teaching me values. She was teaching me what was right and what was wrong. And maybe that's one reason why even today I have such strong convictions that women ought to cover their legs. I'll tell you, with all this hot weather and everything, I would consider it to be a disgrace if I had my wife to pull off her clothes and parade around like some women are. Man, I'd go down to Sears and buy a big tent and, and put over her. Boy, I'd let her go around like that. I love my wife. I don't want everybody coming along looking at her. And it's true also for the men. Now I know the love people say, oh, it's real hot. You just got to, yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the arguments the devil uses. Isn't that right? That's one of the arguments that the devil uses. And it wasn't until recent years that people started pulling off their clothes the way they pull them off now. Let me go one step further, okay? Now, 
what can happen is that if you constantly just expose yourself to various conditions, sometimes you don't even have much control over where you go. I was at the hospital today. I was downtown today. I was out on the east side. I was over in the west side. I was all over. I cannot believe the number of women that I saw today immodestly dressed. Now, I can't control where I go in every case, but I can control my mind and my flesh. I can do that. And the Bible tells us, think on these things. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are of good report, and so forth and so on. He said, think on these things. Because you can become desensitized. Let me tell you, it's like being sick. If you're sick and you have to miss church, friend, whether you know it or not, or whether you can control it or not, it does affect your spiritual life. And you've got to be a strong individual to lay up in a bed and miss church even for one month while you're reading your Bible and walk in the house of God feeling victorious. I have been in the bed. I have missed two or three weeks of church. I have prayed every day and read my Bible. But when I came in, I felt alienated to the body. And it took three or four songs for me to warm up and get back in the groove. What was wrong, Brother Grant? I was becoming desensitized. And there are certain things that will just normally desensitize you if you expose yourself to it. This is one reason why I do a lot of preaching about television. Now, I'm not saying if you go over somebody's house or you go where there's a television zone and you happen to look at something, that, that automatically you're, you're a sinner. But I do say this, that a steady diet of anything that's wrong will desensitize you. And you develop an appetite for it. Oh, did you know when I was a kid, my grandfather used to cook collard greens and fat back and put it on the table, and that was the worst stuff in the world. But I tell you what, my mother would pull out those vegetables. She said, you got to eat some collard, collard greens. How many of you like collard greens? A lot of you like. I'll guarantee you the first time you ate them. I never in my life seen a kid that liked collard greens. Go down to the youth class and ask them how many, how many of you like collard greens? They're collard greens. But you know what happens when you eat collard greens? You develop an appetite for collard greens. And anything that you eat enough, you develop an appetite for it. And if you expose yourself to things that are not right and things that are sinful and you keep eating after a while, that's the thing that you want most of all. Why? You have... Desensitize yourself to spiritual things and expose your things yourself to things that are not right and things that are wrong. Now you need to consider the source. You know, every now and then you hear a story and somebody says, Oh, just consider the source. Because if the story sounds to be a little shady, like it's a lie or something, and the person is reputable for lying. 
You say, oh, just consider this, or you dismiss it. In other words, you automatically say, hey, you know, you don't believe a thing that man says anyway. We're not talking about people in the body of Christ. We may have more integrity. And this is exactly what you have to do. Did you know there is not one thing that comes out of hell that's designed to make you happy? And you need to realize it. Not one thing. When Jesus said, Light hath no fellowship with darkness. When the apostles verified that in all of their epistles. My friend, that's exactly what they were saying is this. That, that a Christian is a Christian because he is a new creature. And a sinner is a sinner because he has never been rejuvenated. He has never reached that metamorphosis where the change took place. He's not the new creature. He's the old man. And the old man of sin cannot have fellowship with the man of God. Now we may go to the ballpark and we may play ball and such. And please understand when we go Saturday and you go out there, every guest that you bring that's not a member of our church, you're going to say, Wow, I remember my past. And certainly God wants us to rub shoulders with sinners to get them saved. But when it comes to just fellowshipping them because we have so many things in common, uh uh-uh, that's not right. That's not right. I say that's not right. I say, that's not right. And every now and then, I'll have to talk to some young person or some saint. And you know, I've been told this so many times. Well, Brother Grant, I know this is wrong, but it's such a little picky thing. But you know, I've never talked to anybody that had that attitude. What they didn't go on to something else. And something else. And something else. And something else. I could stand behind this pulpit and name off many people who are not here today who did not intend to get sucked into the vacuum of iniquity. But they're not here because the little bitty things didn't really make much difference to them. They didn't. Just little picky things. Had a couple sit in my office and tell me, you mean to tell me you make a big issue out of such a little bitty thing? I said, it's not the little bitty thing. It's the change of your attitude that causes you to go after that little bitty thing that bothers me. Because I know when your flesh picks it up that the change is taking place in your mind and in your heart. That couple's not with us today. There were several couples that they had influence on. None of them are here. Where are they? They're going to raise their kids in sin. You know what's going to happen after a while? They're going to see those kids get up to be teenagers and adults. Then you know what's going to happen? Wonder why I can't keep my kids this. Wonder why I can't do that. Wonder why I can't do that. Wonder why I can't do that. Oh, friend, let me tell you something. The best parents in the world, without spiritual convictions, can become failures. Praise God. Oh, how we need to consider the little things. The little things. Praise God. The little things. 
I feel that we ought to stand right now. I've got a few other things that I wanted to say. It is hot in here. Very, very hot. Praise God. I don't think it's cooling off at all. But you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to call all of you, and I know it's going to be crowded up here, but I'd like to call all of you closer to the front, if you would, right now. Just step right out. Sister Grant, could you come to the organ? Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. The devil is bidding for your soul. He does not have much time left. He wants to destroy you. He wants to take young preachers like Brother Brian, his wife, Sister Marisa. He wants to take young men like Brother O'Neill and Sister O'Neill. Wants to take young trumpet players like Steve Dahl, Brother Gaminder. Wants to take a man like Brother Felix. He gets right down inside and said, Brother Felix, you know, you're too straight-laced. You've got too strong convictions. You can't win people. You know, you don't have to stand for all these things that you stand for. You don't have to be so fanatical. Now, if you never hear a thing I say tonight, listen to me. There is not a person in this building that's not fanatical. That is, in some area of your life, you're fanatical. It may be your job. It may be that you're in love with some hobby. Maybe golfing is your bag. Maybe fishing is your thing. Maybe hunting. Maybe it's your home. Or maybe it's your God. But you show me what's number one, and I'll show you where you are fanatical. Tell me what's your prime interest and I will pinpoint your fanaticism. Because man is just not made to be mediocre. He can't be. He's going to give himself to something. That's what Paul was saying. What you yield your instruments to you become a servant to them. If your job is number one, that's where all of your energies flow. If fishing is your thing, that's where it all flows. If some hobby in your home that you have set up in your basement is what you spend your time with. That's where your interest flows. You can't just be a neutral. You can't do it. Jesus told the Pharisees, He said, You're not Abraham's children. 
If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But he said, ye are the children of the devil because you do the works of the devil. If God is number one, you are a fanatic in the area of religion. But you are fanatical in some area. Believe me, you are. It might be God, and it might not be God. You know, fishing's great. I like to fish. But I don't like to fish more than I like to pray, sing the songs of Zion, and preach, be with my brothers and sisters. I like to play softball, but we don't call all prayer meetings for softball. I like to play golf, but I don't miss church doing it. There's a whole lot of things that I like. In fact, I just enjoy living. But God is number one. And I want to yield my instruments to God and become His servant, see. Now you're going to be given to something. You can't be your own Lord. Something's going to rule over you. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep. To gain that which he cannot lose. I turned it all over to Jesus one day. And I said God make my conviction strong enough to keep me. In the house of God until the trumpet blows. I'll enjoy my work. I'll enjoy my home. I'll enjoy my car. I'll enjoy my marriage. I'll enjoy my family. I'll enjoy recreation. But oh God, let me yield my members as instruments unto righteousness. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and pray all together right now. God, keep us in the light board of the faith. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You know, even among common species, a crossbreed is never an accepted thing. I've been to dog shows before. Some of the most beautiful dogs in the world are full-blooded dogs, registered dogs, thoroughbreds. Because when you take a hound and you mix a hound,
with something that hounds are not supposed to be. They're not complimentary to the hound nor what they are mixed with. And so there's no set of standards that govern a mixed breed. He can be anything. But if you take a Springer to the dog show, Brother Hicks, Brother Hicks has a Springer. His confirmation's got to be just right. Somebody's worked on that species. There's a standard there. His neck's got to be a certain length and certain width. Got to hold his head high. Can't have an arch back. Tapered slightly toward the tail. Tail not more than two joints long. Legs are nice and straight. There's a standard by which you measure the Springer. But you mix the Springer with any other dog and there's no standard. And it's that way when Christians don't really know what they are. But the most beautiful people in the world are people who say, I want to be what my Bible tells me I ought to be. There is a standard, brothers and sisters, that measures us. And we, be, we can be complementary to the human race and to God when we meet that standard. But if there is a deficiency in your flesh that causes you to fall below the standard, you will not be complementary to the world nor to the church. You're a crossbreed, a figment of the imagination, something that really can't exist. But yet, it's got to be there and it's not accepted at all. Don't you want to be what God wants you to be? Praise God. Brothers, it's hot, but just put your hand on your brother's shoulder. You don't have to hug. And sister, do the same. And let's just pray as Christian brothers we can be what God wants the brotherhood to be. And sisters, that you can be what God wants the sisterhood to be. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God, I love you, God. I worship you, Lord. I praise you, God, with my whole heart, with my mind, my soul, my strength.
No, we're going to we're going to let you go after you pray an intercessory prayer here at the altar. I received a call last evening before I went to bed. It was in the late evening, approaching eleven thirty, somewhere along there. And uh, it was one of our pastors down in Chicago, and he told me of a situation. And there's a girl here in the university hospital by the name of Michelle Rabatory. Michelle was hit by a semi-truck. She was riding a bicycle up at Mauston, visiting with her mother-in-law. Not her mother-in-law, pardon me, grandmother. And Michelle's uh, step-grandmother is in one of our churches down in Chicago. And so Michelle's dad and Michelle's stepmother has been going to Brother Thackler's church, but they've never given their heart to the Lord. And, of course, Michelle's mother and Michelle's father are separated, and she lives with her mother. So she has not been going to church, but her dad's been trying to get her mother to let her go to church. was right in the midst of all of this high interest that a semi-truck hit three girls. One girl was killed instantly. One was taken to the hospital and released, and Michelle is unconscious, and she has been since Friday. And uh, they thought for a little while last night she wasn't going to make it. So I went down to the hospital, and and uh, it was uh, 4.30 or approaching daylight when I got into bed this morning. I was back up there this afternoon. But that family does need help. While they're coming into the church they don't really know enough about the church to do anything but just just pray. Uh, to have faith and believe God and to see the miracles and such that you and I have seen. They don't know that. But I'd like for you to pray right now for Michelle Rabatory that God would reach into that hospital. She's 14 years of age. God would lift her up and God would heal her. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I want you to touch Michelle. May the power of the Holy Ghost come. Would you indeed rest upon her? Lift her up, oh God. Open up her eyes. Allow her brain to function. May her vital organs, Lord Jesus, become alive. Touch her, Lord, and touch her dad and her stepmother. And touch her mother and her grandmother. Oh, in Jesus' name. in your name. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Praise God. All right. God bless you.
You're dismissed. Praise God. Turn around and shake hands with someone. God is so good to us, isn't He? Hallelujah. God is so good.